Today on Save As. I was sitting there like, this is so cool. The fact that we're even here, like I'm freaking out on the inside, you know, like trying to be professional and maintain composure, but also like, oh my God, this is so awesome. Welcome to Save As, a podcast that glimpses the future of heritage conservation through the work of graduate students at the University of Southern California. I'm Cindy Alnick. And I'm Trudy Sandmeyer. So, Cindy? Yes, Trudy? It's the season finale of season two. Say it isn't so! Well, it's true. And today we're going to go back to basics. We're going to talk about materials conservation. Mm. Some of the bedrock principles that we talk about in the Heritage Conservation Program. And this is one of the core courses that all of our students are required to take. And so every time they take it, we go study a different site. So this time, the students went and studied Reunion House. Yes, Reunion House, designed by the master architect, Richard Neutra. Uh, This house is near and dear to my heart. It's in the Silver Lake neighborhood of Los Angeles. And um, that's where my husband and I lived right after we moved out here. And I actually interned for Richard Neutra's son, uh, Dion, also an architect, uh, who lived at Reunion House, as you will hear. Uh, but I, you know, every week I'd pack up my little lunch and walk around the reservoir from our apartment to this great house and, you know, hang out with Dion and help him with projects and just sort of marvel in the Neutra aura and seeing his absolutely fearless, fierce, tireless, passionate work for preserving and promoting the Neutra legacy. Uh, So it was amazing working with Dion. And uh, after a long and fruitful life, he passed away a few years ago. And um, now the house is in the hands of the institute that his father founded. The Neutra Institute for Survival Through Design is the full name And the president of that institute now is Richard Neutra's son, Raymond Neutra. And so we worked with him and with the board to facilitate this process to have our students be able to come and investigate the house. And then at the end of the day, we give all of the results of their work back to the institute, which is kind of a great way of Everybody gets something. It's kind of a win-win situation. It's news you can use. Exactly. So, you know, a lot of what students do in this program is um, more about intangible heritage, cultural heritage, things that that may not have as much to do with materials, uh, but, but really more the stories of places. And you may think that a class on materials could be boring. Let's say you get an assignment to study the plumbing, but... The instructor, Peyton Hall, who you'll hear from in a minute, makes it so interesting because it's still about stories. It's just telling stories through the materials themselves. So let's get to that, Deuce. You had an opportunity to chat with the instructor and a few of the folks involved in the project. So let's hear from you and your guests. Welcome back, Peyton. Please say hello to the Save As Universe. My pleasure to be here. I'm Peyton Hall. I'm an adjunct professor in the School of Architecture at the University of Southern California, 
where I've been teaching in the Heritage Conservation Program since 2001. In my other day job, I am Principal Architect Emeritus of Historic Resources Group in Pasadena, where I've been working on, on real projects in the real world. You've done a few, and you're so much more, but we'll leave it at that for the moment. So the course you teach is Conservation Methods and Materials. At the risk of mastering the obvious, <laughs> what, what is the point of this course? The course examines characteristics and treatments for commonly used building materials. Now remember, we have a lot of really great students who are not all architects, engineers, or building scientists. So we need to introduce them to all materials and systems in a period of 16 weeks. We have a great building science program at USC, and there are more things that, that we can do and talk about together. But one thing that is a standout in heritage conservation in, in this course is understanding the values aspect, such that you know, a, all materials are not created equal from a cultural standpoint. So in order to understand what to do about these materials, we also have to understand their value in a cultural sense. So yeah, so you take students out into the field and work on a real-life historic place. So tell me about your site for this semester. This year we had, I would proudly say, yet another really interesting case study, which is the reunion house that was designed by Richard Neutra and both modified and lived in by his partner and architect son, Dion Neutra, until his recent passing in 2019. So this is really touching for me, not only that, that we're real, really up close with a house designed by Neutra that has an interesting story in itself, but, but we're in the house where Dion Neutra lived and actually where Richard Neutra lived and practiced for three years while the VDL house was being rebuilt after a fire in the 60s. And for those who don't know, the VDL Research House is a very significant building that served as Richard Neutra's studio and home, uh, and then it burned down in 1963. It's right down the street from Reunion House. We also have with us today the client for this project, whom our loyal Save As listeners may remember from a previous episode. I'm Sion Winship. I am here in the capacity as board member for the Neutra Institute for Survival Through Design, but I am also a proud graduate of the USC Heritage Conservation Program from 2011. Fantastic. And tell me a little bit about this institute. The Institute was established in 1962 by Richard J. Neutra, the architect, as a vehicle for attracting funding for environmental psychology and neuroscience research for the architecture and design community. Our mission is to preserve and use the Neutra legacy to promote creative research and design that benefits people and the planet. People know Southern California modernism as a connection between the indoors and out, but but Neutra really took it a little further than that, right? I mean, he really knew that there was like science behind it. 
100%. He was very interested in neuroscience before it was actually ever really a field itself. And then he was very interested in, in how the physical environment would play on the senses and play on the spatial relationship that a person had through architecture. And so the Institute was originally created to fund research into that kind of information that would be given to architects and to the design community. Because it really was. I mean, the Institute is called the Institute for Survival Through Design. Now, that's a pretty catchy title. And it's pretty, you know, it says something. I mean, it says that if we're going to survive, we need to design better. Well, I, I think the last two years has shown us that in spades, actually. Mm-hmm. The Institute is in the process of releasing a brand new annotated version of Neutra's own manifesto, Survival Through Design. Oh. And that will be coming out later this year. Uh, The exciting thing about that version is that, again, it will be annotated, so it'll be a lot easier to read by the layperson. And it'll also have photographs that illustrate many of Neutra's principles, uh, how they're, you know, demonstrated through his work. It'll be a graphic novel, right? (laughs) It should be. (laughs) So, So does the Institute own the Reunion House? We do now. We were willed three properties as part of Dion's trust. The Neutra office building, which is by Richard Neutra from 1950. Reunion House, Mm -hmm. also by Richard Neutra from 1950. Mm -hmm. And the triplex called Treetops. And all of these are right in the Neutra colony, right in the heart of Silver Lake. So when earlier this year, Reunion House actually came into the ownership of the Institute One of the first orders of business was to look at deferred maintenance, to look at opportunities to restore the property. And it was just a a natural symbiosis to have Peyton's class come and, and work in the house with us on that. And then for me personally, it was actually quite bittersweet because in 2009 or something like that, I was a student in Peyton's class. It all came full circle to now be in a position to, to, you know, frankly, sort of be the client and watch all these kids come in and transform from the beginning where you could tell they didn't really know much about methods and materials to the end of the class when they were giving really quite comprehensive and professional presentations about the house. Yeah, let's talk about the house. Why is it called Reunion House? So when the house was originally designed in 1950 for Arthur L. Johnson, it was designed as a spec house. And Mr. Neutra wanted a program to design to. He didn't design spec houses. So he suggested that he would develop a profile of a family that he would design the house for. And the profile of that family was uh, an, an older couple who had grown children and grandchildren. And that periodically the grown children and grandchildren would return to this house to reunite with the family um, and spend time together. And his observation was that the, that the grandparents might not want to be directly next to the grandchildren, that there might need to be <laughs> some, some, some buffer space between right. that and potentially rambunctious grandchildren. And so that is why the plan, which Barbara Lamprecht correctly identifies as a barbell plan, has the mm-hmm. um, master bedroom at one end and then the children's rooms uh, at the far other end of the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It had a few different owners before Dioni purchased the property, and that was shortly after the fire at VDL, and so that's when the Neutra family came to, to live at Reunion House. You mentioned two remarkable women, 
Barbara Lamprecht is an esteemed architectural historian and the preeminent scholar on Richard Neutra. And Diona was Richard Neutra's wife, an accomplished musician and instrumental to his work and his legacy. So, Peyton, in addition to all these stories, what makes this house special? It's a small house, but has such richness, like a wall and glass and view and open structure and beautiful warm wood. It's a house set into a hillside, taking advantage of landscape and views. Beautiful, simple expression of structure that really opens out into the landscape with the largest sliding glass door I have ever seen facing Silver Lake. One of my minor claims to fame, and I I say that with tongue-in-cheek, is having worked for an architect for three years in Los Angeles who worked in Neutra's studio before starting his own firm. Oh, who was that? David Hyun. Oh, yeah. Okay. One of the um, early Korean-American architects practicing in the 50s. Mm -hmm. A little tidbit from David is how hard they worked drawing and redrawing and redrawing the simplest of details to satisfy Mr. Neutra. It also, it, it was in sync with, you know, my having had to sit at a drawing board and work out details to, to realize that making things look simple is hard um, and also prepares you for looking closely at a house like the Reunion House or any Neutra house and seeing how there are no unresolved corners right. or details. The materials, the windows, the frames, it all comes together beautifully, and that's no mistake or accident. It, it's a lot of work goes into making any house, and a house that small so good, really. Let's talk about the materials in this house. Why does it matter that they're old? All buildings teach us about their time, the designer and the builder. In this case, we have Richard Neutra, you know, one of the leading architects in the world of the 20th century, living just up the street. Yep. This is has to be a hands-on Richard Neutra house. It matters that we see, from a technical standpoint, how people built a house that was finished in 1951 but also uh, the decisions that Neutra himself made Mm -hmm. in design and construction. When I can lean on the fireplace or the wood paneling or lay eyes on the beautiful wood ceilings, which are are somewhat unusual, Mm -hmm. I think I'm touching or I'm inches away from Richard Neutra. And that matters. That's cultural value of design and of human beings. Yeah, especially in this case because he lived there and Dion lived there and they both made changes to the house as well during their time there. So did that have an effect on what the students were examining or how they considered the materials? We have a house that was finished in 1951, had a substantial addition in 1969, but it was also along the way occupied by Mr. Neutra and then by Dion and and his wife past 2019, then with all those little changes, you know, what what about the 
faucets in the bathroom sink and the little things in the kitchen. Do you think everything that was touched by the Nortures through 2019 is significant or not? I don't want to speak for the Institute, but this is what I believe, mm-hmm. is that period of significance ends in 1969. Because that's when Dion Nortra added a second floor to the garage. And the house as we know it, and as it would be assessed as historic and important, that's pretty much 1951 to 1969. Mm-hmm. So let's put our guardrails there and work within that. Now, what does that mean to students? It means when they're looking at a lighting fixture and I'm asking them to make a judgment whether it's significant or not, the question is, did it exist in the house as of 1969? And if it didn't, you can kiss it goodbye if you want to. You don't have to take it out. But how are you going to make decisions about what to repair or what to replace or what to restore Mm-hmm. if you don't have those guardrails. So what kind of materials did the students investigate? Imagine that you are a consultant and you have to assess all the materials and systems in a house. And not only how they exist independently, but how they interact. We had eight students, and therefore necessarily we have eight topics. Ah. And those topics are wood, ceilings, floors walls, windows and doors, lighting, also including mechanical and electrical, roof and water, and finally, hardscape and landscape, the outside. Mm -hmm. I have informed the students with all of the drawing, photographic, archival, narrative information I can possibly dump on them. (laughs) and told them they need to do their homework before they look at the building. Right. So each of those students, in addition to studying all of the above in classroom, are asked to survey, document, describe condition, and make recommendations for, for each of those topics. And then we put it all together into a report that we present to the owner. And we like to think we're helping them. And we are certainly learning from their, their building. All right, well, let's hear from a couple of students about what they learned. Let's start with Brandon. Yeah, my name is Brandon Smithwick. I am a dual degree student at USC studying both urban planning in the School of Public Policy and Heritage Conservation in the School of Architecture. So what was your what was your system, Brandon? Peyton, our instructor, said, you know, if anybody has special interest in anything, let me know. I'd, you know, I'd be happy to help accommodate. And uh, with me, I, I have a really big interest in interior architecture and interior design. Um, so when I saw the list of all of the different options of what he'd be assigning, immediately I, lighting fixtures stood out to me. So I was really lucky that I got that assignment. And it actually expanded as well into the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing, all of the mechanical fixtures, all of the light switches and base plates and um, all of the plumbing fixtures, the bathtubs and the shower heads. How did you know if something was 
historic. We did a survey on our first visit and I just observed the building. I, you know, did an inventory and a photograph of everything that I spotted throughout the house. If there was like a brand on a pipe, I would photograph that and then try to look up that brand and historic evidence of that. So that that part was really fun for me. I love looking, especially with the lighting fixtures. I had a great time photographing and then determining the type of lens and the type of, you know, uh, frame and then looking at old lighting catalogs and things like that to try and cross-reference and see if I could identify what the fixture was. Tell me about these lighting fixtures. There's kind of two that are recurring throughout the house that I thought were the most interesting and the most character-defining for the house itself. Um, And the first were these round lensed recessed can lights that were in the ceiling, and they had these Fresnel lenses, which are basically concentric circles in the glass. So they have this very historic, like mid-century modern character to them, and they had square trim frames uh, that were made of a ferrous metal. So one thing that was really fun for my aspect of the project is determining these metals and if they were ferrous, meaning type of iron metal or non-ferrous, which would be something like copper or aluminum, they require different treatments for, you know, keeping them from oxidizing, from deteriorating over time. Oh, so it's not like one is more important. It's just that you have to treat them differently. Exactly. Yeah. And um, the way you test that is with a magnet. So anything that is ferrous is magnetic, and anything that is non-ferrous is not magnetic. Oh, yeah. So I had my little magnet that Peyton gave me. (laughs) I was walking around the house, you know, magnetizing things, and so it was great. My favorite fixtures that are recessed into the ceiling are recessed into the custom wood slatted ceiling that was made for the house and designed by Neutra. So they're really interesting the way they fit into the, like, original architecture of the home. And those were all in really great condition. And they had beautiful trims. And the other one I really enjoyed were these linear, they almost just look like fluorescent lights, just these linear valances that were attached to the walls of the home. And those kind of acted as picture lights and sconces. And they were really cool, too. Do they still make bulbs for those? They do, but that's a good point because it is sort of phasing out, especially in California, because of the energy conservation measures we have here. Um, That was one thing I had talked to Peyton about, but he said, you know, because this is a historic home, you can comply with the California Historic Building Code, which allows you to still use those older fixtures because they remain characteristic to the house. Also, the house is now part of the Institute for Survival Through Design. There's a close attachment to the environment here and and to Neutra's whole philosophy. Is there a responsibility even to increase the operational efficiency of these buildings, no matter how important they are or historic? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's a question that historic preservationists and heritage conservationists kind of struggle with a lot, you know, is figuring out where is the balance between energy efficiency and historic character. And that's something Peyton was really enforcing within us throughout the classes. You always want to try and balance, but at a certain point, you know, energy conservation in a light bulb is more important than, you know, a potential fire from an Mm. older light bulb, you know. Mm, Yeah. I'd side with him on that for sure. You looked at the lighting fixtures, but there's also like the switch plates and stuff. So was was any of that considered historic? Yeah. And that's something that I had to talk to Peyton and say, you know, what am I really looking at? And he walked me around the house and pointed out the switch plates. And he said, does that look historic to you? Does that look like something you would see in your house today? 
And I said, not really. These are all, you know, chrome plated with black switches and, you know, have those different like uh, small toggles on them and those older push button fixtures as well. So those things that are really characteristic of a historic home. And I said, no, those aren't in my house. And he said, so that's kind of what we're looking at is these are things that I believe add to the character of the home, even though people don't necessarily always think of them. Mm -hmm. And those were actually things that I felt were in poorer condition. And I recommended more treatment just because of the years of wear and tear. You know, there were scratch marks and things. And so I got to talk to Peyton and do my own research and figure out what are kind of the best ways to uh, restore those things using uh, what we called the gentlest means possible. So, you know, the less abrasive materials, chemical solutions, et cetera, to try and bring those back to their historic character. With this particular home, we have the luxury of owners who have the utmost interest in keeping this home conserved. But what do you say to somebody who points to a scratched up switch plate and says, well, that's got to go. Why on earth would you keep that? For sure. This is actually another kind of contentious point, even in the field itself, I think. There's layers of heritage that acquire over time. You know, who's been touching this light switch for 50 years? How has that changed the character of the house and evolved it over time through the patina and through, you know, the corrosion that sometimes has really interesting patterns? So, you know, I, I definitely think there's a middle ground. Um, I think at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, is this completely distracting and detracting from what it was supposed to be? Or does this just add a little extra to it, you know, and kind of make it interesting with that, with me still knowing what this was supposed to be and what its current function is? Thanks so much, Brandon. All right, now let's hear from another student. My name is Jesus Barba, and I go by Chuy. Everyone calls me Chuy. I am about to start my second year on the program of heritage conservation at USC. And I work at Page & Turnbull here in Los Angeles. And I am also board member of Docomomo US. You are an architect already, right, Chewy? I am, yes. I studied in Mexico and mm-hmm. I moved here to California. 10 years ago. Oh, okay. And why heritage conservation? Why did you go to the program? So I always loved history. And I, I grew up in Zacatecas, which is World Heritage City by UNESCO. It's, it's an amazing colonial mining town. Mm-hmm. And, and I always wanted to be an architect. So heritage conservation just did a blend for me. So what material or system did you have? What was your assignment? So my assignment was a roof, and it was really fun to do. Yeah? What makes it fun? Yes. You like climbing on the roof, right? I love climbing up <laughs> on the roof and, <laughs> and going above, checking the flashings and looking mm. for uh, water coming into the houses and everything. And that is so much fun. Did you find any Frisbees up there or pizzas or anything? No. no. Okay. Lots of debris, though. What's the diagnosis, doctor? What's going on up there? It's actually in a fair shape. It needs to be changed just because it's really old. And there's uh, 90% chances that there are leakages. But it's very well preserved, surprisingly. 
And the details are just amazing. Neutra was a master of detailing. Mm-hmm. I started looking at the plans that he came up to for that roof. It's really well done. And that is probably why it's still in a really, really good shape. The whole composition of, of the house fits in. And, you know, you have the spider legs, which are a staple of Neutra. Right. It's a beam that sticks out of the flat roof. And then it's supported by a post on the other side. So it looks like a like a spider leg. Did you see any real spiders on the roof, by the way? I do not. And I'm oh. actually arachnophobic. So <gasps> I'm really, really, really happy I didn't see any. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> because it's a historic roof, Does it need to be fully replaced? Can you ever repair and keep some of the original materials? Or do you pretty much have to just replace the whole thing? So it is a tricky question Mm. because the roof needs to be replaced for its own nature. If the the roof is leaking, it needs to be replaced. And this is important because what's beneath it is also important. If you try to keep what is up there, you may lose more trying to preserve that that piece. Also, roofs are where you can make a really good headway on sustainability. If you have enough insulation, if you have um, a good system that can save energy, which is also very important to to today's generations and to our society, then. I think, and this is my personal opinion, that replacing the roof is it's a really good opportunity. And we're talking about a modern house where we all, we still have the materials around. But apparently, as the as the project went on, you realized that the materials you were working with were connected to each other. So yes, all the systems, uh, of course, in a house are interconnected. And that is that is the beauty of architecture, in my opinion, like how to make everything work together. And each one of us had a different assignment or a system to look at. And at the end of the day, we started realizing that uh, the same thing that was affecting one was affecting the other. Danny, she was doing landscaping and I was doing uh, water infiltrations and there's a concrete pad on the back of the house that's been lived by the roots of a tree and that's causing the wall to get water in it. So we both, Danny and I, started looking at that tree and how we could mitigate the, the impact to it. And, and with Brannon, uh, she was looking at uh, light fixtures and electric systems and uh, as we were talking about the spider legs, there's a, a, a beautiful linear light on the spider leg that at, at the time made the house look like it was glowing. And at the beginning, she couldn't find it. And when I was looking at the spider leg, I told her, hey, did you see this fixture here? And she's like, oh, my God, yes, it's there. There you go. Mystery solved. (laughs) You know, I'll bet the project really benefited from everybody's different skills and backgrounds. The class is so diverse. There's literally people from all backgrounds there. We have people from all over the country and also from China and Mexico, myself. We had people that it's in uh, 
landscape architecture, we have anthropologists, we have English majors, we have masters in architecture. It's just a little bit of everything and it's great to see how everything just mixes to to the great good, in this case, the Neutra House. Just like the house itself, all the systems come together. Yeah. That's great. So this project is actually different from your practice? Uh, it's similar. When you work on historic buildings, do you do this type of materials research or have you yet? I'm always doing all sorts of conditions assessments, but th this is something that I can totally apply to my day-to-day -day life and uh, a lot of what I learned with Peyton in this class has helped me like, to even tell my coworkers when they're looking for uh, how to fix a concrete or how to putty that you can put on windows, a sealant. He gave us so many tools that are so good. That's great. All right, now here's a question for you both, Chewy and Brandon. During the project, so you're not just in this incredible house, but you are with a superstar team. I mean, Peyton who knows more about preservation architecture and materials than like anybody else in the world. Uh, Sion, who's an amazing architectural historian, resource, overall human. And you even had a virtual lecture by Barbara Lamprecht, who literally wrote the book on Neutra. Now, did you guys realize at the time the magnitude of all this? I mean, did it feel special while you were there? Yes, from day one. Just because, first of all, it was a Neutra house. It was the reunion house. It was his house. That was humongous. I definitely did, for sure. I was sitting there like, this is so cool. The fact that we're even here, like, I'm freaking out on the inside, you know, like, trying to be professional and maintain composure, but also like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. So I think we all felt that way, for sure. I'm so glad you and your classmates had that experience. And thanks so much to both of you for sharing some of it with us here on Save As. Thank you. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now let's see how this experience will be put to good use. Back to you, Sion. How's the Institute going to use all the information you get? Oh, it's going to be invaluable. We will take the spreadsheets, uh, which itemize virtually every aspect of the 10 systems that the students investigated, and we will attempt to create a prioritization list of things that need to happen to protect the safety of the house, as well as restore the house back to a, a bit more of its authentic self than it is right now. Mm -hmm. now. I think one of the greatest contributions that Peyton's class made to the Institute was helping us identify a period of significance. So the Institute was very interested in high-level thinking about what is the appropriate period of significance how do we restore where we need to restore? And how do we do that in a way that honors both Richard Neutra's legacy and Dion Neutra's legacy? I love how Dion is part of the story, too. She's often not included in the conversation, but we wouldn't have hardly any of what we have now without her, you know? I couldn't agree more. So how will you use the house? One very perceptive student at one point during like the third visit said to me, so what are you going to use the house for? I thought, no one's asked that question. And it, you know, it very likely 
influenced how she made her treatment recommendations. So the assumption on the part of, I think, some students was that it was simply going to be a house museum. And the Institute is dedicated to making sure that it's more than just a house museum. Reunion House will definitely be open to the public periodically for tours, but we hope its primary reason for being will be as a scholars-in-residence location for scholars who are working in the area of neuroscience or preservation or even sustainable design, Mm -hmm. and that they will have an enhanced living experience and perhaps spark some new ideas from just actually being in the house for a, a long period. All right, there's one more story about this house that we have to mention, and it's a love story. If you'll remember, dear listeners, Neutra designed this house as a spec house. So the client, Arthur Johnson, didn't intend to live there. That is correct, but Arthur Johnson ended up living there. But what he didn't plan on was that he met another Neutra owner down the street, the widow, Kay Koblick of the Koblick residence. Oh, right. Now, Kay and her husband had built that house, but he passed away mm-hmm. su- very suddenly from a heart attack. And the neighborhood kids and neighbors decided they would fix up these two Neutra lovers. And Arthur Johnson ended up marrying Kay Koblick on the hearth at Reunion House. So now we're working with uh, the family members to bring some of Kay's original artwork, because she was an artist in her own right, back into the house so that we can tell the story of Kay, the woman that was lucky enough to live in two Neutras in Silver Lake. Wow. (laughs) We love romance here at Save As. All right, there you have it, folks. The power of good architecture. Thanks so much, Sion, and thanks to you, Peyton, for sharing your time and insight. Any final thoughts, Peyton? We'll leave it with you. The reunion house really illustrates to me how modernism in the hands of one of America's, really the world's leading architects of the 20th century, can become much more than a a monument, but also a really comfortable domestic atmosphere that illustrates also life in Los Angeles. Views, indoor, outdoor, small scale, a building designed at a sustainable, I think, domestic scale that is so comfortable and yet is not a McMansion. It certainly demonstrates, I think, the best that Neutra and Los Angeles had to offer in 1951. But it's not a bad model to look to going forward compared to so much construction that we see in the city and the region. Here, here. Well, Cindy, that was fun. And, you know, a little trip around the rooftops and into the intricacies of the lighting systems and switch plates. Who doesn't love a little romp through historic resources? Mm -hmm. Well, my friends, the time has come. We are signing off for season two, but we have a few more things we need to talk about before we do that. One really important piece of business that we need to take care of is that... We have an announcement to make about the lucky winner of a Save As mug. What? Congratulations to our survey participant who won his own Save As mug. 
Chris Alexander in Washington, D.C., you are the winner. Fantastic. Chris, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for doing our survey. And thank you for taking our mugs by Coastal. That's right. Spreading the Save As word all across the United States. Tomorrow the world. We have something for you to listen to over the summer, which is from our friends at the USC Huntington Institute for California in the West. is a podcast called Western Edition. And here is a little preview. The Chinatown neighborhood in downtown Los Angeles is a popular tourist destination with traditional restaurants, trendy bars, gift shops, and art galleries. And below the surface is a rich and complicated history. And it's a history we're still uncovering. And I think that's one reason why many people are so involved in this history research is because a lot of it has been hidden from us. Hi, I'm Bill Deverell. I'm the director of the Huntington USC Institute on California and the West. Join us for season two of Western Edition, as we explore the past, present, and future of Chinatown. I think a lot of people look at Chinatowns and they see a blank canvas, but I think that's not looking deeply enough. It's a community of immigrants who came together and supported each other in moving ahead and finding a place in American society. Listen for Western Edition Season 2, L.A. Chinatown, launching May 24th, 2022. for joining us for this episode and this season of Save As Next Gen Heritage Conservation. For photos, links, more information, and other episodes, please visit the website at saveas.place. This and every episode was produced by the great Willis Seidenberg with help from Trudy and me. We'd like to thank everyone who made Save As what it was and is this season. All of the guests who shared their time and insight with us, students Chloe Couple and Brandon Smithwick for helping on specific episodes, Melissa Miller, Keiko McNally, Lenore Lowen, and everyone who helps to spread the word about Save As, Stephen Jones and the students of his advanced strategic public relations class at USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism, Stephen Conley for our original theme music. Tom Davies for the music in this episode and ongoing technical assistance. And most of all, thank you, our Save As listeners, because it doesn't mean anything if nobody hears it. I will add my last thanks and remind everyone that Save As is a production of the Heritage Conservation Program in the School of Architecture at the University of Southern California. Have a great summer. Mm-hmm.